when I'm coding all night. Project won't compile, it'll be alright. Computer science for life, and that's my direction. Instead of B-Balls, my homies throw exceptions. Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight, Damien, a grinder and partner with DangerousThings.com, Cooper, a sysadmin who lives open source solutions. Up first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. If you and your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at DangerousMinds.io and or email us at info at DangerousMinds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Okay, so this week on Dangerous Minds podcast, we have Melanie Segado. I hope I said that right. Um, Co-founder and science director of Neurotech X. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Do you mind starting by introducing yourself? Uh, tell us what biohacking grinding means to you. And So you, you did, in fact, get the pronunciation right. My name is Melanie Sagato. Um, I've been doing stuff with NeurotechX since it started for about a year and a half at this point. To me, grinding biohacking is just a way to live out, you know, childhood dreams of being a mad scientist, basically. There's there's your academic science, and then, then there's the grinding, where you get to really have fun and apply the stuff you've learned to do just cool stuff. I don't have any implants, because I work with magnetic resonance imaging, and I need to remain implant-free at least until the end of my PhD. But I do have a ring with two NFC tags on it, so that's, that's kind of my proxy implant until I'm done with the giant magnet that doesn't let me have any metal. So when did you get into biotechnology, neurotechnology, and why? And also, if you don't mind, you mentioned the ring. If it's not too personal, what do you use it for? Let's see. With the, the ring, often what I'll use it for is keeping like a, a key file on it. In general, I just use it for like, you know, having my Twitter on it to be able to just tap it on people's phones. I do really like that you can actually see the tag on it. Um, which actually makes it easier to explain to people what the implants do because they can actually see the little antenna. You can show them how it works and it's a lot more tangible for people to understand what some people are implanting in their hands, which is great. As for how I got, how and when I got into biohacking, probably about five, six years ago at this point. Mostly it was through a neuroethics course. I did my undergrad in neuroscience and we had this one lecture on neurotechnology and brain-computer interfaces. When I took the course, professor came in and said, there are no ethical issues with what I do whatsoever. So I'm going to tell you about my research, which at the time was on brain controlling sharks to sniff out explosives. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And then the hackerspace told me that they had this like, you know, toy brain scanning headset that had been sitting around the garbage for years that no one cared about. And so they were like, well, I mean, if you can fix it, start doing stuff with it. And, and that was how I got into brain hacking pretty great so by brain hacking what have you managed to do so far and kind of how far did that headset go was it repaired yeah so i fixed that one up with an arduino tutorial that floats around the internet basically you hook up an arduino you read in some signals and you just get some very basic abilities to control things with brainwaves which is great since then i've done some more stuff with the brain signals. They're called electroencephalography or EEG. I made like a video game through a local incubator called Pixels, stuff like that. But what I've gotten into more recently is brain stimulation, which is super cool. So EEG, it records the electrical signals that are happening in your brain with 
transcranial direct current stimulation, which is the type of brain stimulation I've playing around with lately. You actually use an electrical current to control how certain parts of your brain are functioning just by running an electrical current through it. And that's really fun. You can build them yourself for like 10 bucks. It's, it's really cool. Well, a bit more onto that is... Um is there any more you can tell us about work and research on neural correlates of um, auditory monitor in motor integration, sorry, um, in cellular players? Is that part of your PhD at work or Montreal Neurological Institute? Yeah, so the brain stimulation stuff is not actually part of my research. That's that's kind of where I was saying that I, I draw a distinction between my academic interests in the brain and then my more grinder biohacker interests in the brain. Uh, my research is actually on how the brain uses sounds in musical contexts um, in order to guide movements. So I'm specifically looking at the brain regions that are responsible for using auditory feedback in singing as compared to using auditory feedback during instrument playing. And just for out of sheer convenience, we've been using the cello as a model instrument because we have one that can be put into the MRI. So you can actually do functional MRI of people who are doing real-time auditory motor integration tasks, which is cool. It does mean that I get to learn a whole lot about how the brain learns new skills, how the brain uses sensory information to guide movements, and all of that ties into the biohacking. But it's not actually directly linked to the stuff I've been doing with just playing around with brain stimulation. Before going to the next question, I did have a uh, um, little bit more of TDCS, the EEG, and the MRI, because that's actually a project I've been dabbling with myself, and I'm curious, Ooh. have you at all noticed any real differences in for and after stimulation from TDCS through EEG or MRI readings on your subjects? The TDCS, any times that I've tried it, just, you know, on my own or doing demos or things like that, I, I honestly haven't noticed any differences that I can say were specifically related to the brain stimulation. It's really hard to draw any conclusions with an N of one when that one is you and you are also the experimenter. I have been a research subject in my lab mates experiments or in experiments happening at the university. And in those cases, I have definitely experienced effects of brain stimulation. I don't think it's flawed as a technique. I think you can definitely do amazing things with it. It's just hard to know what you're really doing if you're doing it yourself. All right. Well, can you also tell us uh, about uh, Neurotech X and its mission and neurotechnology community? Yeah, absolutely. So Neurotech X is an international community of people who are really enthusiastic about neurotechnology. Neurotechnology encompasses really anything that is an interface between computers, technology, and the brain. So neurotechnology includes this brain stimulation stuff. It includes a whole bunch of researchers working on MRI. And mostly what we want to do is just bring a bunch of people into the same conversation so we can push the field forward in more interesting ways. Part of what I mean by that is that there, there seems to be this disconnect in the field right now between you know the biohackers and the people who are doing their PhDs in neurotechnology and the people who are making the neurotechnology devices. And so we really want to bring everyone together, cut down on the crosstalk, and make it easier for people to not just repeat the same projects over and over again, but to collaborate and to make cooler stuff. So using EEG to control a brain stimulator, for instance, so you get this closed loop where if you notice that part of your brain is not as active as it should be for a task, you can use that information to stimulate it and get it a little bit more active. Um, that's good. Those are kind of the big projects that I'm interested in right now, but also hopefully extending someday to, you know, maybe some more implantable brain sensors or some more implantable brain stimulation devices moving in that direction as well would be pretty cool. But Neurotech X on its own is just a, it's just a community of people and it provides lots of ways for people to interact with each other and, and kind of create their own projects. So what does it take to start a Neurotech X chapter in your local area? 
And what would you say to any groups, whether they be biohacking or, or otherwise, that have an interest in becoming affiliated? So mostly what it takes is just interested people. What it means to be a chapter is extremely flexible. What we kind of hope people will do is have events where they you know, discuss certain aspects of neurotechnology. We try to encourage people to have hack nights where they get together once a week or once a month to work on projects together. If you go to our website, we do have a bunch of ways that you can contact other people in the community. You can see if there are other people in your city that are interested in doing this. But I'd say the first step is definitely to try to find out who in your area is interested in it, get in touch with us, and we can help you set up some of these events, set up some hack nights, and just get you connected with the people in your area that also want to work on the same stuff. Can you tell us about Neurotech News and the evolution of it from NeuroGadget? So this, this actually also ties into how I got interested in brain technology in general. When I got really enthused about neurotechnology initially, and I started doing a little bit of this hacking stuff, I was like, okay, what's, what is a good way to learn a lot about the space? And I went looking for a website that was covering neurotechnology stuff, and I found NeuroGadget. And so I just reached out to them, and I was like, I, I'm geeking out really hardcore about this stuff right now. Do you need someone to write articles for you? And it turned out that it was just, you know, one guy and all of the writers had kind of just left and he was like, yeah, absolutely. So I started writing for NeuroGadget. Eventually I started being, you know, sent to conferences to cover things. Like there's a, a conference in San Francisco every year that was called the NeuroGaming Conference that was looking at video games and neurotechnology. Now it's called Xtech because they also incorporate virtual reality and things that don't really count as neurotechnology, but are still part of the whole space. And so through that, I just, I, I kept learning more. I got really into writing stuff. But then NeuroGadget got sold off um, and the person they sold it to ended up just shutting it down, which was really unfortunate. And a couple of the people that I had been working on Neuro NeuroGadget stuff with were like, this kind of sucks. Now there's nowhere that people can go to have the same geeking out experience that we had, to have the same writing experience we had. So the same people from the NeuroTechX community decided to just launch a new platform called NeuroTech News, which is hopefully just going to be a continuation of the type of stuff NeuroGadget was doing, but under a different name, basically. <laughs> so at the moment, it's kind of the uh, just the blog for the NeuroTechX community. All right. Before we move on in the conversation, I'm going to take a quick moment to thank our friends and share a message. I want to be more together. At the 2017 Body Hacks in Austin, Texas, January 27th through 29th, you'll learn throughout a two-track, two-day conference, discover some of the best companies in body hacking, connect with your fellow cyborgs at the hub, and party at the worm. This year, put together, the Body Hacks Fashion Show opens the event on Friday night at the Austin Convention Center. Be more together at bodyhackingcon.com. All right, go ahead and uh, let's return to the conversation. That was a really weird smile. Uh, if after getting away from working with an MRI, are there any implants that you would like to get once you're no longer working with a giant electromagnet? Yes. So I do actually want to get some of the implanted NFC tags. It turns out that they are, depending on which model you get, they are MRI compatible. I was running a, uh, a training study, which meant that I had to like, you know, bring people into the lab every two days for four weeks. Um, teaching them how to play the cello and then looking at how their brain was changing over time. And this had been going on for a while. We were at week three and a half and one of the people I was training actually just went away to body hacking con and came back and was like, oh, I hope it's okay. I got an NFC chip implanted in my hand. I was like, is it, is it MRI compatible? Like what, what is this thing? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's MRI compatible. I got an MRI done at the airport and I was like, oh no, no, you did not. 
you went through an x-ray at the airport, you did not go through an MRI at the airport, we're going to have to look this up. So after some pretty extensive research tracking down a few papers, it turns out that they are MRI safe up to a certain strength of magnet. We're working with a three Tesla, so it's okay if it was a, a seven Tesla, we would have had some problems. But yeah, so after a bit of a hair-raising evening, we did discover that these RFID tabs are okay to go into the magnet. So I'll be getting one of those hopefully sometime soon. I don't really have any specific plans for what to use it for other than to show people that you can get one of these implanted and store information on it. But I, I know there are really cool things you can do, like unlocking your computer. They're, they're just fun to have. The other thing that I have been playing around with the idea of is getting EEG sensors implanted subdermally. One of the limiting factors to the types of things you can do with it is that the signal you get from the surface of your skin is actually really messy. One of the ways you can clean that up is to just bypass the first couple of layers of skin. You get a much cleaner brain signal. Um, so yeah, I've, I've just been looking at possibilities of doing some subdermal implants to just have an EEG headset built in and make it a lot easier to do demos without having to get the headset set up every time and collect some clean data if I want to do my own brain-computer interface stuff. Well, when you start to make the, the implanted EEG reader, let us know. Maybe we can help out with some coating options or, or design, anything like that. Yeah, one of my uh, one of my co-workers, Sydney, actually at NoTechX, um, is working on this as well. I think he's actually planning to chat with you guys sometime in the near future about it. Looking forward to that conversation and any beta <gasps> testing if available. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, can, what can both of us say we both enjoy betty testing new new toys and we're looking forward to <laughs> another one that's coming out soon but back to the conversation in your own in your work with neurotech x uh what has been the single best moment of achievement or could even expand it further in your own uh, studies with your, your education, what have you? If there's more than one, feel free to you know, talk about those as well. All right. So I'm going to break this down into two categories. One of them is best moment just like in general in terms of social value which was giving a presentation about brain stimulation at DEFCON over the summer. That was just super cool. Yeah, no, it's great. I love telling people about brain stimulation. I am always super happy when people are excited about it. There's that. And then just in terms of actual achievements making stuff, it was just getting the the first brain stimulator to work. Like I'm, I'm a neuroscientist. I'm not a hardware hacker. I'm not really, I, I know very little about electronics apart from how electromagnets work and apart what you need to understand brain physics. So actually just spending a couple of weeks figuring out how you make a circuit, how different components come together to give you like, you know, your two milliamp direct current stimulation was just fantastic. And I was so excited when it worked. Transistors may be the coolest thing I've ever heard about in my entire life. So like spending a few days just figuring out why one of those is in the circuit, what it's doing. It was just great. That's the coolest thing I've learned ever. Um, just out of interest, you were saying the transistors were interesting. Have you read up on supercapacitors as well? <laughs> I have not. They're on my list of things I want to learn about, but I, I have not read about them yet. Oh, they might come in handy if you're uh, building certain things, because instead of using a battery, a supercapacitor could hold a charge, and it's not as risky as using lithium. I'm sure you know it compacts all the power into a small space, and then does the Galaxy Note 7 and blows your leg to pieces. You mean but, a Samsung grenade, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that one, actually. I'm going to call it from that now. Uh, the commercial grenade, instead of buying that, you can use a supercapacitor, and that will store enough power, providing you've done your calculations correct and use the right model and whatever super 
supercapacity you need, it will just store the charge and you can access it as required. It's that sounds really useful. Quite good, yeah. Maybe that will come up uh, useful for you one day. Yeah, for sure. I, I might email you about that after this, actually. That sounds awesome. Oh, they are. They're fantastic. <laughs> I spent a good week on reading stuff about it and what people are doing with it. And some of the projects are really interesting. And that actually, so one of the the big things that comes up when you talk about DIY brain stimulation and the, the DIY TDCS community um, is that researchers and health professionals in general are always somewhat worried about the safety of the devices. They only run off of a nine volt battery. So it, it's not that you can do that much immediate damage, but it is quite easy to burn yourself if you mess anything up. Mostly it's related to the current distribution, but anything that you can do, like, you know, having a super capacitor instead of a battery, maybe you can help mitigate some of the immediate burn safety risks and make it safer for the community and also maybe make the impression on the researcher medical community a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it will show you've taken the time to take into consideration any health risks and trying to avoid those and yeah. that would make them feel better. So with your research, how would you say that it's unique in the world of biohacking? I know you don't necessarily associate the two, but in the near future, I think the two are going to be very, very closely looked upon together. So how would you see your research changing the views in the future of this? Yeah, I mean, so the really when you distill out my research question, what it's looking at is how the brain handles this association between the senses and movement. And that is really important if you want to accelerate skill learning or if you want to rehabilitate certain things that have been lost from, you know, a stroke or something like that. And so the research that I'm doing for my PhD, it, it really lays out some of the groundwork that people would need if they wanted to do brain stimulation or create brain stimulation protocols that target some of these areas that are really key for sensory motor integration or sensory motor learning, figure out how to how to make that learning more efficient or how to rehabilitate lost function. That's really how the, I can see the two of them tying together in the future. And that's that's how I can see a lot of neuroscience research really informing the biohacking field. I think we've uh, touched on a few times earlier. What projects are you currently working on? Could you tell us a little bit more about it without revealing too much proprietary? If there is anything proprietary that I'm working on, I, I don't don't know about it. Um, <laughs> any of the any of the projects I'm doing outside of my research are all open source, and even my research. Like, if you guys want to see what I'm talking about when I say that there's a cello that can go into an MRI scanner, you can just look me up on YouTube, and like one of the first hits is going to be a little mini YouTube video, like seven minute. YouTube video about my research where you can actually see this cello it's super super cool there's an engineer who spent his PhD designing it instead of working with you know metal strings or having any type of electronic components to pick up the sound um, it's all done with light sensing so as the strings vibrate back and forth they pass over an optic sensor and so you actually get this like analog output of light signal that we're using for the sound which is amazing there's also like yeah it's it is a very very cool feat of engineering with this this guy made a cello that can fit into an MRI scanner and not cause any types of interference. So yeah, there's, there's my PhD stuff, which at the moment I'm looking at 
like I said, the differences between using auditory feedback when you're singing versus using auditory feedback when you're playing a musical instrument. Haven't found anything yet. Really wish I could tell you that I had, but I'm still going through a lot of messy audio recordings to try to figure out the uh, behavioral component and then just looking at the brain correlates. Um, my next project is going to be doing the same protocol, but with EEG. So MRI is great because it's super spatially specific. We'll be able to figure out a few regions that are really implicated in this using auditory feedback to guide motor actions. And then what we're going to look at is the EEG components to try to figure out when all of these different things are happening. So whether there are differences in how you detect the sound feedback when you're singing versus playing the cello, do you detect it earlier, what some of the components are. So when you're planning your movements, is there a difference in terms of how your brain is handling things because you're using your hands as compared to using your, your, your voice? Uh, so that's my next research question. And then hopefully that'll be enough to put together a thesis and graduate next year. Non-thesis biohacking side of things, I'm really still super enthused about this brain stimulation stuff, just looking at different circuit designs, trying to figure out what the pros and cons are of each, talking with a lot of people in the neuroethics field about regulations that are being proposed, trying to keep on top of that so that I can help inform the biohacking community about, you know, what researchers are really saying about this, what their concerns are, and how we can help mitigate them and try to keep it from getting too tightly regulated, hopefully. Sorry, you said um, that you're going to help inform the biohacking community of people's concerns. So how would people read, I don't know how you're going to get this across, whether it be Facebook posts, a blog or something like that. How would people find out what you're able to say on the fears so they can help either explain what, why their fear isn't kind of needed or just kind of make it better in a sense. You, do you see where I'm going with this one? Yeah. yeah. I, so I should clarify, I, it's not to say that I just want to, th there are a lot of concerns that are very, very valid um, that I think the biohacking community should be mindful of. It's not that I'm completely against any type of regulation. Like I, I do think there are certain things that are some risks people are taking on that they're not entirely aware of, and I want to make sure that's not happening either. For now, I think keeping tabs on the Neurotech X Twitter or on my Twitter um, is probably the best way to figure out what's going on. I'm going to be posting stuff on the NerdTechX blog. I engage with the Reddit community a little bit. Most of the conversation about TDCS happens on the TDCS subreddit. Uh, there is a group called DIY TDCS that focuses on this kind of thing. And anything I find out, I'll either post it to Reddit, write a blog post about it, or tweet it out. Talking about TDCS, have you seen anything about uh, using nootropics in it to enhance the effect or of TDCS? Oh boy, nootropics. I, I have seen a lot about nootropics. I have not actually seen anything about combining nootropics with brain stimulation. To be perfectly honest, I hope I don't see anything about combining nootropics with brain stimulation in the near future because we don't fully understand what brain stimulation is doing. We definitely don't understand what nootropics are doing. There's no possible way we're going to be able to interpret anything that happens if you use them in combination. But ultimately, there are two ways of trying to accomplish similar things like people use nootropics to try to enhance their focus people use brain stimulation to try to enhance their focus i i don't really think there's enough information out there to weigh the pros and cons of each because like i said we, we don't really understand enough about how both of them are accomplishing what they're accomplishing to say couldn't that be in like your your own work with it you have your placebo group uh, your tdcs group your nootropics group and then a combined group to and then you know compare differences that you see with them or phases with the same person so you can see how they might change with the different stimuli it just 
makes me curious how different things can affect. That's why I was curious if you had, I don't have access to an MRI myself and uh, the stuff I'm trying to do with the TDCS, but I'm building an EEG that we're also using to try and record actual visual map out to see if there's anything really happening by using uh, night vision drops through that scientifically instead of just the person's opinion. Yes, I see better in the dark. Well, if we can actually map it out through an EEG, have a print of it and see changes, then you know it's less likely we're just being social engineered, you might say. But it just made me curious, since I'm trying to do something similar, just haven't built everything yet. Waiting for parts is one of those things I just absolutely hate in all projects. Since you have access to an MRI, you have access to an EEG, have you used those to for your baseline and then checking after stimulation to see if there are any differences or for lack of any better term other than someone just pulling your leg saying that this really worked other than it made me feel a little bit sparky. There, there are a few things. Thing one is that the MRI, it's really, it has to be done through a research center. So it's not something that I could ever just be like, well, I have some questions and some money. I'm going to book out the MRI. First off, there's no way I would ever have that kind of money. The MRI costs $600 an hour to book. Um, it's extremely expensive. And Two, you need to go through a lot of regulatory ethics to be able to get people into an MRI. So unless it was really my main research question or one of my academic research questions in general, I would never be able to just throw someone into an MRI. EEG stuff is a lot easier because it's it's cheap, it's affordable, you can have it on the consumer side. I would actually really love to talk to you about your projects um, and maybe if you needed you know, any type of advice on designing an EEG protocol, we can help out NeuroTechX is here for you. But the thing, the thing about using EEG even then is that you have to, you have to have a very specific hypothesis and you have to be able to control all of the variables really well. And even in academic research about the effects of TDCS, things like how much people walked in the past 20 minutes whether they've had coffee that day, how much they slept the night before, what type of mood they're in before they go into the experiment, look like they're having an effect on the outcome of the experiment, which is why if you look at the field of TDCS research as a whole, there's kind of a 50-50 split even for the same electrode placement and the same stimulation pattern if it's having an enhancing effect on cognition or a detrimental effect on cognition. There's really a lot of mapping out that needs to be done about what factors are influencing the effects you're seeing with TDCS. And then only once you kind of had that mapped out, could you really start to look at the intersection between that and any other type of thing, I think. Uh, that would be my opinion. But yeah, the studies you designed are definitely the right approach to it, where you'd have your control group, you'd have a TDCS only group, you'd have a TDCS plus nootropics group. You might want to throw a couple of, you know, cross-matched placebos in there so that you're not getting any enhanced effects of just taking a pill versus not taking a pill or anything like that. But definitely lots of exciting things that can be done on the research front. So you said that the mood can change the outcome of your experiment. Do you ever turn people away for, say, for example, they've come in, they've just had an argument at home? and you can tell they're angry, or do you take that into account? So the answer to your question is, is no. You you don't really control for those things unless they are specifically relevant to your hypothesis. The only way that I can see that affecting things is if people come in and they're like, for MRI stuff, you need to be able to stay still for, in my case, two and a half hours. So if someone is clearly in a state where they're they're not going to be able to stay still, they're not paying attention on the tasks, you'd probably try to take a little bit of leeway, cut out a couple scans, and just give them some time to cool off before putting them into the scanner, because otherwise your, your data is going to be junk anyway. For brain stimulation stuff, I'm not I'm not sure how people how carefully people handle it. And how strict the the restrictions are on certain stuff. Mood was maybe a, a bad example to pick. Um, when I said mood, I, I more meant attitudes towards brain brain stimulation. So people expecting it to have a certain effect will definitely affect 
how likely they are to say that it had an effect. But that being said, I'm, I'm pretty confident that your level of agitation would influence how the stimulation affected you. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question. It does. But see, I know you've had quite a few of these along the way from what you've been telling us. What's the best light bulb moments that you've had? And In terms of my own research, this is potentially going to sound super lame, but you get used to treating fMRI studies as this like really sterile theoretical thing. And it was so cool to just run people through an experimental protocol, look at some of the brain data and be like, oh my gosh, when they're playing the cello, you can see activation in the part of the motor cortex that controls hand movements. And when they're singing, you can see activation in the part of the motor cortex that controls your vocal cords. And it's a really different experience to see that with people that you just put through an experimental protocol compared to, you know, some research paper that you have no association with. It's so cool to put people into a brain scanner, get it out and be like, oh my gosh, I can actually see your brain contributing to the things that you just did. So it's, it's not really like an aha moment of I discovered something, but it's just that like it really never gets old to look at brain scans and be like, oh man, I can I can actually tell what was happening in your brain based off of your brain function. And that if there's one thing you would say to someone thinking about getting into neural technology, grinding with TDCS, would there be anything that you would suggest to them in, in getting started furthering this path? In terms of getting started with TDCS, I would definitely say to people that there is, it's it's a fantastic way to learn about electronics. It's a fantastic way to learn about brains. It's very mad sciencey. It gives you a lot of biohacking street cred. But be careful with what you're doing. Don't don't get too carried away with the badass factor and forget that you are in fact modifying your brain signals. That we don't know the long-term consequences of doing TDCS on a regular basis. You don't want to accidentally take on risks just because it seems like the cool thing to be doing in the hacking community. I always want to make sure people are super mindful of that. But in terms of getting into neurotechnology in general, it might not end up being your passion. But for me, I genuinely don't understand how someone can see their own brain signals, see someone else's brain signals, and not just get obsessed with it like it's it's always worth checking it out even if you're like meh maybe it's not for me at least get yourself to an event where you can see your brain signals if you are someone who fits the criteria for a study at your local university try to sign up for an mri study so that you can you know see a picture of your brain it's it's amazing it's the thing that makes you you it's the thing that lets you think it's just so cool to see it as a thing on your computer screen like it's it's amazing so going by that you've done an mri yourself and had a look at your own brain scans oh yeah i'd, I'd be interested <laughs> so what's it like actually being in the machine i've not done it myself it's a very small tube so the diameters are like a 60 centimeter diameter um so it's very cramped in there uh the room itself can be a little bit intimidating because there's this constant like whooshing sound going on in the background if you happen to have forgotten anything metal on you it'll start getting pulled towards the magnet so I've, I've walked in a couple of times accidentally like you know forgetting my glasses on and just felt them start like creeping down my nose other than that the machine itself is very loud so when it's taking images of your brain it it sounds a little bit like noise core techno like it's you can look up some audio samples of it on youtube it's very very loud which frightens a lot of people depending on the scanning protocol that you're doing it also just kind of shakes the entire bed that you're on so you need to make sure that you're not claustrophobic. You need to make sure that you know to expect a lot of noise. They always give you noise dampening earphones. For a lot of experiments, like if you're just going in, for instance, for a clinical scan where they want a picture of your brain, you can be in there for as little as three minutes, as long as, you know, 15 minutes. If you're going in for a functional imaging experiment, I, I have my participants be in there for two and a half hours, which is kind of the upper threshold of what the ethics board will let you do. But all, all in all, it's it's pretty comfortable. You just kind of lay there and make sure not to move your head around and get pictures of your brain. I'd like to be able to do one of those. To actually see a picture of my brain now that you say it. I've never thought of it before. 
Yeah, you can also you get some really uh, zombie-looking images as well because MRI is based off of the, the different magnetic properties of different types of tissue, which means that in your MRI scan, you also end up with all of the information about your facial tissues. But for instance, like the entire chunk of your mouth, the signal drops out because there's so much water. Um, so you can do like reconstructions of your skin, but like your eyes are just these hollow pits and your entire mouth is just gone so you can see through to the back of your throat. It's, it's fantastic. What do fillings do? Out of, what happens? Fillings, are they are MRI safe most of the time. Um, you do have to tell the MRI technicians that you have them just so that they know. But usually it'll just cause a signal distortion and so you'll just get like kind of a black trunk where your fillings would be. And if you're looking at parts of the brain that are very close to them, you might get a little bit of a distortion of the image. There's really old fillings um, that I know some people that have and I'm sure they're metal. So I thought I'd ask anyway. Yeah, some type of metal are okay. The ones that you have to worry about are ferromagnetic metals. So for instance, like copper is actually, it's MRI safe it might cause some some signal distortions but it's not going to fly out of your mouth and into the scanner there's also like historically there was concern about tattoos as well because tattoos used to contain metal filings um so as much as they wouldn't you know tear out of your skin they they used to cause some heating up inside of the magnet uh, mostly concerns related to metal are less about things flying out of your body and more about them heating up yeah also electronics are going to stop working so if you've got a pacemaker don't go near a scanner. If you've got a deep brain stimulator implanted in your brain, don't go near a scanner. Yeah, be careful about stuff like that. Yeah, I think that was one of the main concerns at the beginning of people asking about the implants and MRI safety. They thought they'd end up with a, a hole where that tag was. So Yeah, the tags, like I said, the there are a couple of papers on the subject. I can send them your way in case people ever have concerns about it. Getting the finger magnetic implants, I'm assuming would be a very terrible idea and probably prevent you from being able to go into the scanner because taking a magnet into a gigantic magnet is not going to go so well. Would you think that would either pull the magnet out or would it pull your hand towards the field and then would not be able to move your hand? I think it I would think just it would start, start to I think it would start to move the magnet and it would just get really uncomfortable. I doubt it would pull it all the way out. It depends on, again, it depends on the strength of the magnet. Most of the ones that I've worked with are either 1.5 Tesla or 3 Tesla. Um, now they go up to 7, which is its whole other thing. But for the 3 Tesla ones, for context, one of the demos we do when people you know, want to know how strong the magnet is, is that we have a ping pong ball that has a bunch of paper clips in it. And so you basically just toss the ping pong ball and it just flies straight to the center of the magnet. But if you throw the ping pong ball as hard as you can, it will just go all the way through the magnet. Like it's, it doesn't even stop in the center. So it's, it's strong, but it's not so strong that like I said, you have to worry about. It's like the fluids in your ear. Uh, it does affect like, you know, the fluids in your ear kind of interestingly. So one of the things that I find is if I stick my head in to make some adjustments, into like the center of the magnet and then pull it out really quickly, I will get very dizzy. And that effect is exaggerated the stronger the magnet is. So for some people, just like, you know, walking around the room too quickly in a seven Tesla magnet makes makes them dizzy. I'm not 100% sure if it's, if it's the inner ear fluid being magnetic or not. I just know that there is something about the magnet that affects your vestibular system in certain individuals that just makes you dizzy when you're moving around in the magnetic field. I would love it if someone came up with an open source, you know, DIY MRI that you could build in your basement. That'd be fantastic. Curious what your thoughts are as far as like the, the future of biohacking, uh, biotechnology as a whole, and especially neurotechnology. I think neurotechnology has a lot of way, a lot of room to expand in terms of implantables. Biohacking has really been, you know, leading the field in terms of getting sensors under your skin, getting different types of information from 
closer to the source, as it were. I think neurohacking has a lot of room to expand in that field, especially in the context of EGs, where really all it takes is getting under the first few layers of skin to get a cleaner signal. It seems like the grinder community would adopt that pretty quickly. Uh, brain stimulation might be something similar. Honestly, I've been trying to look into what advantages you would have to implanting stimulating electrodes to see if you can get more precise stimulation patterns, but I haven't really come up with anything conclusive on that, either in the literature or just in my own attempts to figure it out. Overall, I think developing new types of sensors is going to be a really big thing for neurotechnology, because EEG is great, it's super cheap, it's fantastic for beginner projects, there are lots of cool things you can do with it, but there are also so many different types of brain signals that it's going to be really great when, for instance, something called FNIRS, Functional Near Infrared Spectroscopy, which looks at signals similar to the ones that you're looking at with MRI, but in terms of the reflective properties of different types of cortex, depending on how much blood is flowing to them. I really want there to be more devices like that so that people can start looking more at what brain regions are contributing to the, their tasks in addition to what temporal components, which is what you're getting to the EEG. So yeah, new sensors are awesome. New types of projects are awesome and different things to control would be great because there are a lot of meditation apps out there now. There are a lot of attention training apps out there, but a lot of people are doing some great stuff with machine learning that's going to make the types of projects you can do a lot more interesting. So for instance, something called uh, motor imagery where you can imagine moving your left hand or your right hand, pick that up with an EEG and have something much cleaner. The types of stuff you guys are doing where you're trying to look at visual cortex signals and figure out what people are seeing, that kind of stuff I think is, is the direction of really to go just more projects better projects and different projects so while you were talking there i was also thinking about the ear with the mri do you think it could be something to do the ear has a good blood flow so do you think it could be to do with the iron in the blood it might be that is a that is a good theory yeah the entire reason that functional magnetic resonance imaging gives you information about what's happening in the brain is that oxygenated and deoxygenated blood interfere with the magnetic field differently so it's, it's perfectly reasonable to assume that if you had a very very strong blood supply in a certain area that maybe the magnet is just causing it to flow a little bit differently i should really look into this this seems like a kind of question i should be able to answer off the top of my head well i mean to me that would say say i could be completely off topic i'm wrong here i would imagine it being that the iron would group together therefore the blood couldn't flow as usual because there would there would be sort of larger chunks of iron i say chunks it's still tiny but yeah i don't i honestly don't know enough to answer that 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 sounds like a reasonable theory but i don't know enough about how much iron there is in the blood how the magnetic field affecting the iron would affect the blood flow. There's there's a lot to unpack there that I just don't know. If I've worked that out, I'm going to be really impressed with myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up. I'm going to get an answer. I'm going to get it back to you. If Dangerous Minds have solved the, the <laughs> question on the dizziness of MRI. I'm actually really curious to know if there was one type of neurotechnology project that you guys would want to see created in the space. What, what would it be? Like, what would your dream brain computer project involve? Hmm. Now, that is a good question. That actually makes me think of a Outer Limits episode or Twilight Zone episode I saw back in the 90s, where there was an implant connected directly to the brain in which um, libraries and traditional learning became <clears throat> no longer even a thing. Eventually, there was like a computer virus or something like that that took out the network and left everyone that was implanted dependent on the one person that was not able to be implanted due to some genetic defect as they labeled it. And he ended up having to teach old school school to them to you know, help rebuild their civilization that had lost all knowledge. So yes, that 
type of implant, that that's something I would love to see just because analog learning is so slow, time consuming, and sometimes very frustrated, especially when it comes to math in general. See, that would be good. I wouldn't approach the learning aspect though, even though that would be awesome. I mean, learning everything you could, like thousands of books in the space of what, a week, including healing time. Now that would be amazing, but I think I'd go with more of the regeneration of brain tissue because the older you get, the slower it is to regenerate the brain tissue. And I think that's also been linked to studies with Alzheimer's and other diseases on the brain. And that'd be possible to be cured maybe if the tissue was regenerating as it was as a child. So I think that would be good for adults to be able to still regenerate as as well as kids. Haven't they thought of that uh, a way to fix that as stem cell therapy? Uh, there is a theory on it, yeah, and it's to, I know it's to do with stem cells. could have sworn we had talked about that with uh, Oliver when he was talking about the life extension project and uh, research in there. The way I would put that is, is there a limit to when you can stop harvesting the stem cells? Going back to the point, the older you are, the less you regenerate, you need those stem cells for other things. So essentially removing them from what they would be doing and putting them all in the brain, you're just degrade in another part of the body faster. So is there an artificial stem cell? Something along that line. Good to know. Yeah, so like the one of the main avenues of research in, in brain stimulation is accelerated learning. That's one of the things that people are really pushing for. Um, just trying to figure out how you can use the electrical signals to make the learning process more efficient. In terms of learning motor skills, there's actually some pretty compelling evidence that if you run an electrical current through your motor cortex or through motor cortex while you're while you're doing a motor task or just before doing a motor task, you learn it a lot more quickly. That recently became a topic of interest in the Olympics because people have been using this during training and it's not traceable in the way that other types of performance enhancing drugs are traceable in the blood stream and there, there isn't really enough evidence to show that it's you know enhancing performance to the same extent as something like steroids but it's still an interesting field of, of research and there's no really any biomarkers to be able to detect it right mm-hmm. nope. and uh, talking about using it in training is there anything talking about using this type of stimulation to assist with like stroke recovery traumatic brain damage stuff like that yeah. because as a stroke survivor myself uh, that's something I would be actually interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, again, in the context of rehabilitating motor function, TDCS bilaterally can be used to kind of recoax some of the connections between the hemispheres of the brain into being functional again and really help to, to rehabilitate motor function. I, I do know that there is also some research on rehabilitating cognitive functions. I'm less familiar with it than I am with the, the motor research, but it, it is absolutely one of the areas of research. Yes, you know, what you you guys were saying about the accelerated learning and sparked up another question for me. Does the sleep tapes actually work or do you need a specific? It doesn't work. I can see by the nod of the head there from, say you wanted to quit smoking, there would be a tape you could put on and leave it through the night. You'd be listening to it and within like a few weeks, you'd be like, yeah, all right, I didn't know the fact. But. Oh, you're talking about unconscious uh, stimulation through audio? input yeah messaging type thing yeah would that actually work i never tried it myself but now that i wonder about it it might help you quit smoking if anything i I doubt (laughs) i don't want to quit but i i can't 
I can't really imagine a mechanism of action for why that would work other than just helping me with motivation. Like it's just committing to a treatment plan helps in and of itself. So if you've really made the commitment to listen to these tapes every night, I think it would really help with your own personal motivation to quit whatever it is you were doing or be better at whatever it is you were doing. But I don't think there's anything that's inherently helping about hearing these words while you're sleeping. If anything, it probably helps you relax and fall asleep easier. Yeah, that's it too. Getting good sleep is helpful for literally everything. Well, I definitely want to say a special thanks to Melanie Segato uh, from Neurotech X for taking time to talk to us today. If you want to learn more about this journey we take weekly, check out dangerousminds.io. All of us want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us as we explore the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and plantable technology today. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions and comments. You're welcome to find us at dangerousminds.io or our Facebook page. Just do a quick search for Dangerous Minds Podcast on Facebook and you'll find us. And perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work and or projects you're exploring and developing. Until next week, seek the spark. Project won't compile, it'll be alright Computer science for life, and that's my direction Instead of b-balls, my homies throw exceptions New, and neither is EEG Like EEG and, and brain stimulation, they've both been around since I mean, EEG has been around since the 1920s Brain stimulation has been around If you try, try to trace the origins, it's been around for a lot longer Like the Romans used to stick electrical fish on people's heads to cure headaches so at least they were on to the fact that electricity was doing something but even then like in the 1800s you can see historical accounts of people running electrical currents through the brain to modify behavior so neither of these things are new they just keep going through cycles where they have a resurgence in popularity and in the case of brain stimulation they usually end up getting a bad rap because of something the last bad rap it got was because it was being investigated primarily for mind control during the cold war and so people got really sketched out about it there's also this whole thing where people started you know misconstruing it for electroshock therapy which is a very different thing and also something that has gotten a very bad rap because of its representation in media. These, these aren't new things, they're just newly popular and media has a lot of potential to sway how that popularity goes. So kind of like bell bombs coming back, are you bringing back the MK Ultra and giving it a <laughs> whole new feel um, with your research? We, uh, we talk about that at the MNI a fair bit. We have to do some pretty extensive research ethics training courses since like a lot of the MK Ultra stuff that was happening was happening at McGill. So they do make sure that all of their all of their neuroscience grad students are very informed of the potential ethical issues of the type of research we do. Sounds like a definite good SYA. Or yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for time today. Um, I'm pretty sure we're both going to be interested in like the implantable electrodes because it just sounds fun, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, be able to see the designs that coming up with it. I'm not meaning fun. Yes, let's stick electrodes in our brains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so these are like you, you guys know just like the dermal stud piercings, right? Or just like, yeah, like the dermal bars. Dermal anchors or something like that. Like yeah, a, dermal yeah. anchor. That's that's kind of what, what Sydney and I are, are looking at to just see what type of signal quality you get when you huh. hook up a board to your dermal anchor. I wouldn't have thought it was that that simple of a thing, but it makes sense. If it's made of conductive metal, like... Implanted crown, then? How many anchors do you need for for something like that? You need a minimum of two. Um, Like me. Oh, Oh, you have those? Yeah, I've already got those. I've had surface bars. Um, Also got this. Ah, cartilage. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. So the yeah, old bar. Um, You're gonna get the piercings to do tests with. So with the one with the two that you have, actually, you should be able to take a board and try to get some electrocardiograms. You should be able to use one of them if you just like alligator clip onto this one and here and run it into a board. You should be able to see your heart rate from them. Huh. This is awesome. I'd actually like to see that type of uh, that capture from that. Yeah. Uh, bring me back to the days of being a going through EMT school and what have you. <laughs> like, oh, your your rhythm's out. Man. Clear. <laughs> Mine's going to be all over the place. It's going to be no rhythm. Don't worry. I, I've got a car battery. I can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in conclusion the three of us are going to do some super amazing projects after mm-hmm. all of this is done basically sounds like it hey i'm interested i'm ready for sharing information sweet 